Welcome to Collaboration RA. This podcast is dedicated to our profession, allowing us to share who we are, what we bring to the field of radiology, and how we care for the patients we serve. We look forward to hearing from you. Find us on our website at www.collaborationra.com. We appreciate you listening, and we're glad you're here. Now let's collaborate. Welcome to this episode of Collaboration RA. I have with me Reese. Hello. And this time I have a very, very special guest. I am so excited to be speaking with. I know that we all are in patient care. A huge amount of what we do is patient care oriented. We really give a lot to our patients. I was really excited whenever I reached out to this individual and just said, I would love to speak with you and to hear more about what's going on with you and how you can help us relate to our patients, maybe on a different level or exactly how it is that we impact them. She is the author of a book called Better Than I Found It. And so I'm just really excited to speak with her. What about you, Reese? I'm very excited when you brought this up to me. Oh, gosh. When was that? About a month ago? You showed me the book. And I kind of read the gist of it and I was like, oh, wow, that would have a lot to say and a lot of tie into a lot of what we're trying to do here. I'm very excited to visit with her. So we have with us today, Catherine Coltop. She comes to us with more than 20 years of experience within the healthcare industry. She started her career in Illinois with families who are having to give the gift of life through organ donation. Later, she joined one of the largest healthcare systems as a physician relation and business development manager, and then moved her career path to becoming a certified patient experience professional. During her career as a CPXP professional, she relocated here to Texas and works as the vice president of patient experiences. Her motto is, leave people, places, and things better than you found them. As I mentioned earlier, she is the author of Better Than I Found It, where she talks about her experiences with patients in the healthcare setting and the impacts that medical professions make on these patients. It is my pleasure to be here. Thanks so much for inviting me. So Catherine, how did you end up in healthcare? Well, well, it was sort of an accident, really. My mom was a nurse and she was a nurse for 50 years. I saw how hard she worked and I realized I don't know that I'm cut out for that. She loved hospital work, but I knew I probably wasn't going to be a very good nurse, but I knew I wanted to do something that helped people. And I thought actually that I was going to be a therapist. Undergrad was a psychology major. I thought for sure I was going to go into counseling and life took a a slightly different path. My very first job out of college was as a sexual assault crisis intervention counselor. At the time, there was a local community college that was having one of its community fairs. And I was pretty busy for the entire event, just had a lot of people coming and talking to me with emotional and deeply personal things. And the woman at the table next to me was working for the organ donation bank. So she didn't have a whole lot of foot traffic by her table, but I had a boatload by mine. And so at the end of it, when we were packing up, she said, you know, I've been watching you all day today and I've been watching you have some really powerful conversations with these people. They're sharing some very intimate things with you. And we're hiring. And would you like to come work for us? <laughs> I thought, organ donation? Like, I hadn't really given it a whole lot. I thought I had to check my license because I wasn't sure if I was actually an organ donor. <laughs> I thought, well, I was, but I didn't remember signing up. I thought, well, okay, well, organ donation, organ donation. That's kind of death and dying stuff, isn't it? But then I thought, you know what? Death and dying, 
I can wrap my head around. I can sort of understand that's just part of life. That's just what's going to happen. We can put it off and avoid it and try and not talk about it all we want to, but we all know it's going to happen. So we might as well make something good come out of it. So I decided to leave the sexual assault crisis intervention job and I went to work for the organ donation folks in Chicago and I worked for them for almost 10 years and got in and out of hospitals, in and out of emergency departments, in and out of ICUs. It really lit a fire under me in terms of getting into healthcare specifically to make things better. So even if I wasn't going to be a therapist, I could at least meet people in some pretty emotionally charged and difficult circumstances and try and make that a little better for them. So that's how that all started. You are definitely one of a kind. And it sounds like they broke the mold after making (laughs) for sure. But they're Um, both so, so valuable and so, so important. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it's hard, I think, when circumstances like that happen to other people, many of us, we don't know what to say. We're like, do I talk about it? Do I avoid it? Do I say something? Do I not? What do I do? And that makes the person who had it happen to them feel even more alone, right? Mm -hmm. When people who want to say something don't, it further isolates them. So I figure, you know, if you have the skills to be able to handle that, then you probably should. The world needs people who can step into those kinds of situations. I thought, okay, maybe that's what I should be doing then. If I can do it, I probably should do it. And that's how that started. So yeah, it sounds like it's heavy and difficult work, but honestly, it was some of the most meaningful work I ever had. Yeah. And it probably all prepared you for everything that you're doing today, which we're going to get into. (laughs) In terms of the organ donation, yeah, those are really hard conversations to have, especially when it's possibly somebody who is not currently an organ donor and their families are there and they're in that moment, not only are they having to grieve the loss of somebody that they love, but now somebody's coming to talk to them about organ donation. Right. When you had those conversations, how hard is it to navigate through those, to find that connection with the families who are in this process? Yeah. That was a really tough training. And I remember I knew I wanted to do it, but I knew I didn't really have the tools or the skills. I really wanted to learn how. And thankfully, we had a really great training program that really did some simulations in the classroom setting before setting you off and going to talk to a grieving family, which was good. So we had some practice. We learned all of the things not to say. And I think that's probably even more important. But really, you go to people that are hurting and you just sit with them. It usually started with just one simple open-ended question or some simple statement. And I let them sort of lead the way. So wherever they were in dealing with this or understanding what was really happening, that's where I picked up the conversation. You don't make any assumptions about what they understand or what they know. And you certainly don't make any assumptions about their relationship with the deceased. For me, it was just demonstrating genuinely, genuinely demonstrating that, look, I know this is unimaginable. You are going through something you never, ever thought you would have to go through. And I'm so sorry. I'm here for you right now. Let's just start with what can I do to to help? Tell me a little something about this person. And off they went. From there, you can sort of figure out when is the right time to broach this subject. When is the right time to bring it up? When is the right time to mention it? And it's a lot of trial and error, I'm afraid. But you know, you learn, right? You, you learn from it and then you do better next time. And over the course of my career there, we did very well, not just in terms of, oh, look, we got all these people to say yes to organ donation, but 
more importantly, years later, they felt like the interaction that they had with us was kind, that they didn't feel like they had some high pressure salesperson trying to get them to do something that they weren't comfortable with. That to me is more important than anything else is that lasting impression. One thing that I do have a question for you. Mm -hmm. In terms of those of us imaging these patients, sometimes when I would walk into the room, the families would be there. And it is such an intimate moment with them, with their loved ones and the little bit of time that they have left. What advice do you have for those of us that are going in and are seeing these families? Because I think sometimes, like you were saying, we don't know what to say. So what kind of advice do you have for us when we're entering those rooms? That's a really great question because I think you're right. There are a lot of people that are like, I don't know what to say. What do I do? Yeah, this is this is heavy duty. I'm like, yeah, it sure is. It is it is really heavy duty. And I think the the best thing you can do is be aware of it. Um, if you understand that you are in a very different place than they are. Like right now, this is just another day at work for you. And while you may be touched by them emotionally or have a moment and think, oh, that poor family, that's so sad. And that's fine. But when you go home, your day is the same. Life hasn't changed for you, but it absolutely has for them. If we approach every one of these situations and remembering that we're not on the same playing field, the field is not level right now. They need a little extra something, something, whether it's grace or compassion or something that demonstrates that you are aware of what they're going through. I think that's what people really want. They don't want us to come off as tone deaf or completely unaffected by what they're dealing with. And and while we don't have to sit and grieve and cry with them, I think they do need to understand that we are affected by what they're going through and that we just sort of help them a little bit by just watching our tone. (laughs) You know, nobody wants to hear the person coming in and laughing and joking. Like, I'm going through something here. Do you mind? (laughs) And again, that's not to say that we can't express our natural selves at work or anything, but I think just understanding that we are in the presence of something bigger than that and showing the right amount of sort of measured behavior. If they reach out to you for whatever it is, you know, if they need a box of tissues, find them a box of tissues. If they, if they just need someone, look, I don't understand this. I, I, you're showing me pictures here. I don't understand what this means. You know, taking an extra moment to explain things clearly, that just speaks volumes and, and helps people so much because there's so much about that whole event that they do not understand. They didn't ask for it and they, they certainly weren't expecting it in most cases. So showing that kind of patience and grace and sensitivity, I think is key. I mean, they know you can't make it better. They know you can't take it away, but they do expect you to just be sensitive to the fact that you understand that they're going through something life-changing right now. That's beautifully said. Reese, did you do a lot of imaging with organ donation patients? Uh, actually, yes, both as a technologist and as an RA. I was the supervisor for the weekend shift and there was a bunch of x-rays that printed out all in the same patient and they were all timed. And I was like, oh, that's odd. The very first person I met, I wish I could remember her name, but she had a very bubbly personality. And basically she essentially introduced herself as the organ transplant coordinator or liaison. If anyone had any questions, she was the go-to. She had all these different teams that helped her to coordinate it, both with the family, both with the patient, the hospital side coming in, trying to get everything that they need. And I learned a lot real fast that there's a lot of lab work. There's a lot of imaging. There's even some procedures that's done just to make sure that everything's right and ready 
for the donation to even take place. And then later on as an RA, we started taking consults for liver biopsies to evaluate tissue to see if it was safe, if it was viable, I assume, to go ahead and donate that liver. But ultimately what it came down to is, okay, I'm ready to go get consent. Wait, how, how do I get consent for this? We found the coordinator, the liaison, and we asked her, hey, what's the protocol here? What's the next step? And she goes, don't worry about it. Everything, both procedure-wise, imaging-wise, if there's any question for consent, at least at the institution I was at, it was all covered once the family or the power of attorney had agreed to go ahead and pursue organ donation. And one thing that sticks out to me, and this is both uh, on the tech and the RA side, is I always talk to the patient. Them, hey, I'm going to lift you up. I'm going to put this hard plate behind your back. Or, hey, I'm going to go ahead and clean your skin off. It's going to be a little cold. Oh, here's the pinch and burn. You ready for it? One, two, three, pinch. I talk to the patients and that that doesn't change. And I love that, that's, that. That, that was my takeaway uh, with the organ donation. So. Now, I if I had been the family member, if I'd seen you do that, that would have made me feel so wonderful because you're treating my loved one like a real patient, someone that you are caring for. That would make me feel so wonderful if I'd seen you do that for one of my relatives. Honestly, don't ever stop doing that. That's beautiful. I know that as we're talking about all of this and kind of transitioning into some of the other aspects that you do, I really don't know a whole lot about the patient experience professional degree that you have. Mm -hmm. I think it is so cool and I think it's so unique. It is extremely valuable in terms of just looking at it and reading about it and kind of stalking you online. And just really educating myself about it. Let us know what that really all is about, what all it entails, and kind of that educational process for you. Sure. Well, I am glad you asked because it is a relatively new certification. I was fortunate enough where I happened to be in the inaugural group of folks that received that designation through the Patient Experience Institute, which came about through the Barrel Institute. And I was a, a member of that. I think people saw it as more fluff stuff. You know, it was sort of like sprinkles on the cupcake. Patient experience is all about making patients happy. And it's all about big fancy rooms and gourmet food and having a Ritz Carlton experience. And I thought, yeah, no, I, I don't think so. I don't really think that that's really our point here. Thankfully, as time has gone on, we've swung the pendulum back to where it should have been in the first place. Patient experience is really about keeping patients safe, making them feel as though we are keeping them safe, not just doing it, but making them feel as though they are safe. It's tied back to higher quality care. It's all back to patient quality and safety. And I think early on, the message was really lost. And we were just sort of seen as window dressing and not anything substantive, which missed the point. So grateful, like I said, that it's finally starting to carry some weight and that uh, there is a, a designation, a certification for it. But really, this is the whole totality of experience that you would have in healthcare from even before they show up to the hospital to long after they leave the hospital and everything in between. You know, other industries have figured out how to make things easy for people and healthcare has taken an awfully long time to catch up. Patients, especially now, you know, after COVID hit, we were all about trying to keep it as simple as we possibly could, right? And telehealth exploded. We never thought we would get there. And now suddenly more people want their doctor's visits online. We have not always made it simple and easy for patients. It's a 
cumbersome road to hoe sometimes when people are trying to figure out their bill and they're trying to figure out their insurance and they can't get the appointment scheduled and the specialist doesn't have any openings for six months. And how do I get there? And where do I park? And you know, the food here is terrible and it's not very clean. And it's just all these different things that feed into patient experience. So it, it has actually very little to do with making patients happy because after all, who's happy in a hospital? I mean, people in mother baby are about the only ones that are happy. So not about making them happy. It's about making them feel as though this is a good place to be. The people here are professional. They're competent. They're telling me what's going on. They're answering my questions. They don't appear to be annoyed when I ask for help. I feel safe asking questions. I feel safe knowing that when I hit my call button, someone's going to come to me and I'm not going to be lying here forever and I'm not going to feel like they forgot about me. And it's those kinds of things. And when hospitals have higher patient experience scores, they also, by no accident, have higher clinical outcomes, lower rates of infections, lower rates of hospital-acquired infections and falls and, and never events and things of that sort. It all ties together. Thankfully, people are starting to realize, okay, maybe this patient experience thing isn't quite what I thought it was. Maybe there's more to it than we realized. And Mm -hmm. so I'm very happy that you've given me this platform to kind of scream that from the mountaintops. That was part of why the book came into being was because I, I thought, you know, there's an awful lot of things that I've seen and witnessed and experienced over the course of my career. And so just to put some of those on paper and talk through what that looked like, what that felt like as it was happening to be able to see just how much things have changed and how hopeful I am for the future because of the direction in which things are heading. Catherine, throughout your extensive career, is there any advice that sticks out that you would like hospitals or physicians, doctors or imaging staff, medical staff, nurses to know about what it is you do? Really, again, if there's a misunderstanding about what patient experience is, early on, I think they called us the smile police that's not the nuts and bolts of what this profession is. It's how you would want someone to treat you or your, you know, someone that you cared about, right? If they were going through something, you would want someone to take a minute to explain something to you in a way that you can understand it, right? Should never be thought of as something extra. I think maybe that's where we came off wrong at the very beginning was because it, it was positioned as some extra thing you had to do for patients. When in fact, you know, many healthcare providers, whether they're physicians or nurses or anybody, I mean, they were, they were treating people with respect. They were doing a great job answering their questions. They were doing a great job of being friendly and courteous and helpful and polite and, and all that stuff that we would want. It's introduce yourself, tell them who you are, what kind of experience you have, how long you've been doing it, that you're good at your job and that the other people around here are good at their jobs. You are in a safe place. We are going to take good care of you. I mean, all of that stuff was around before the patient experience movement started. We just, we put a label on it and then people started thinking it was extra work. Um, I'm trying to really get away from that whole idea. And it's not just the personal interactions, but it's processes and the systems that support it. Can we make this easier? Can we make this simpler for you? One of the biggest complaints we hear, you know, especially on the outpatient side, when people come in for tests and things like, you know, I registered online, I entered all my information, I walked in the door and they gave me the same forms to fill out all over again. <laughs> like, <laughs> why did you do that to me? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why we did that to you, <laughs> but we did. And it's ridiculous. So it's silly stuff like that, that this is where, again, where I say other industries have figured this out. Other industries don't make you do this, but healthcare does. So mm-hmm. we've got to catch up and, uh, and just make it simpler and easier for people. 
And so this should never have been pitched as something extra you have to do. This is just how we do. Again, more people are starting to understand that now. Well, in listening to you talk, I will go on ahead and accept your apology, Reese. Did you hear what she said? It's something you make fun of me for all the time. <laughs> What's this? Every, every time I introduce myself to a patient and I know all the staff like bangs their head in the wall, every single patient I see, I tell them, hello, I'm Marceline Forbus. I'm going to be the one that's doing your exam today. I've been doing radiology for about 22 years. I've been doing the mid-level part for about 17 because I want them to know I know what I'm doing. And Reese is like, oh, we already know. <laughs> thank you yes. for doing that. I'm yeah. going to go, thank you. That's the way to do it. Because when I walk in, I want to know this person knows what they're doing. And if they don't tell me, I usually ask. How long have you been working here? What kind of experience? Do you, I mean, I will typically ask, and I love that you volunteer it. Yeah, makes us feel safe. That's the first thing yep. out of my mouth. I love just, it. Just because we do this day in, day out, year over year, it becomes routine. It becomes normal mm -hmm. to us. But our patients, they've maybe been in maybe a day, maybe five, maybe two weeks, maybe a month, and they don't want to be there. They don't feel good. I would say the vast majority of healthcare workers have not yet experienced an inpatient stay themselves. Mm -hmm. And I will say that I am probably of that vast majority who has not been on the inpatient side. I have not checked the card yet. However, I have seen my wife going through childbirth and all that kind of stuff. Both of our kids were premature. So I got to see her care. I could tell when the patient care was a little bit off the mark. I feel that this is a great way that we all could grow to strive to do better. And that's why the hospital implements these policies and procedures and training modules that we need to complete to increase the patient satisfaction, increase the patient experience. And I see it all the time uh, when I'm trying to get the, the outpatients, get them in, do their exam take good care of them, get the answers needed, and then get them on their way. Always trying to decrease patient wait times, increase patient satisfaction scores. You know what I always tell my patients when they've been waiting a long time? What's I tell that? them, I'm, I'm very sorry. I know that you waited a long time, but I'm going to take the same amount of time that I did with that patient with you. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm not going to shortchange anybody, yeah. but it's going to be a great experience and it's going to be worth it. And when we're done, I ask them, I hope I made it worth it. And I thank you so much for waiting because I know your time is valuable because it is. That's perfect. I love it. Reese brought up a really important thing talking about the HCAPs and the CMS 2% withholding. And I mm. know that that has been grilled into me over a large span of my career. The reality is, is a lot of people don't know who we are, even when we walk in the room. Even if I introduce myself, a lot of people are going to remember what their hospital room looked like or things like that. And so when they ask these questionnaires, what can we as imaging individuals do to maybe make an impact? Healthcare is a team sport, right? Every single person that they come in contact with. And, you know, the person can be humming along, going from department to department to department, and everything's going great. Everybody's lovely and friendly and helpful and all that good stuff. And all it takes is just one interaction for this whole thing to just go south. That's what I, I instill upon our folks when I do new employee orientation. I'm like, don't be that one person. <laughs> don't be that person that screws it up for everybody else. Just keeping that in mind that, that your interaction with them, even though you're not listed on the survey, they don't call you out specifically or, 
They may not remember your name. They will absolutely remember how you were with them. We do see comments of people saying, you know, the person that moved my arm when they were taking the x-ray of me, you know, they they were a little rough. Okay, well, that impacts everybody. That's just not your score. That's the whole hospital score. So we shouldn't really slice and dice it like, well, that's not me. That was EBS. Well, that's not me. That was food service. It's a team sport and that's everybody plays a role in it. I'll get calls from unit directors that would say, you know what, this, this patient survey that just came back, this really isn't my unit. This should have attributed to somebody else. That shouldn't count against me. Well, I'm afraid it doesn't work that way. But we've made people so freaked out about their scores. You know, again, we're focusing on the wrong things here, y'all. It's not about the score. I'm not interested in, I care about the kind of care that we're delivering to people. What kind of an impression are we leaving them with? That will reflect in the scores. So I think that's probably what we need to keep in mind is that we can influence these things in all kinds of ways. And if you have, even if it's a small part in their care, you will make an impact. That's why we can't look at this as just a transactional, you know, I had an interaction with the patient, I've done my job, we're done. Patient experience isn't siloed. It's not transactional. It's the entire thing. So if we're good leaders, we are designing the systems that make it easier for you to get a better score. But if we just continue to look at it as the siloed individual transactions, we will never get the job done. It is a full, complete, total process, overhauling systems and looking at culture. And I think perhaps we should be letting people know that that's the goal here is to make sure that every interaction is a positive one, even if it's not called out in the survey. That's the next step, taking a broader lens in this whole thing. A lot of what is said in the business world, not so much in the healthcare world, they say, you know, if you take care of the employees, the employees will take care of the customer. Do you feel that healthcare is the same way? I know that that's my philosophy. (laughs) That's my thing. If I'm brought into a healthcare system and I'm brand new and they tell me, you know, Kate, our patient experience scores are tanked. They've been in the toilet forever and ever. We don't know what to do. We've tried everything. We've had consultants and we've had this, that, and the other. We've tried every flavor of the month to try and get our scores up. Typically, the first place I will go is the employee engagement survey. Typically, I am not surprised when I see that those scores are miserable. And, you know, here's your problem. Your employees feel like they are not respected. They are not appreciated. Their work doesn't matter. Their opinion doesn't matter. You don't care about them as people. How in the world can you expect them to turn around and deliver a great patient experience when they don't get it from you? It starts with taking care of the staff. And I will die on that hill. (laughs) I will carry that banner as high as I can carry it because I honestly, truly believe that if we care for the staff, patient experience takes care of itself. And I think more and more leaders are starting to understand that. That, I think, is what we learned through COVID, is that leadership really had to step up their game and be much more connected to their staff. You know, we say it all the time, like, I won't ask you to do something that I wouldn't do myself, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But the same thing goes through with that kindness and courtesy and respect. It starts from leaders giving it to staff. And if I can't give it to you, then I could not possibly expect you to give it to a patient. And like I said, I think we're, we're getting there. There's more and more health systems are taking that approach. But sadly, I think there are still some that haven't quite figured that out yet. Mm -hmm. Reese, you and I have had several conversations. I mean, several in radiology right now, a lot of us feel like we're not seen. We're not Mm -hmm. heard Mm -hmm. as as professionals. And so there's a huge discussion that's starting to talk. You know, we're starting to find our voices and connect together and starting to relate to that. I think in finding all of that and hearing all of that and talking about hiring and retaining employees. We've talked about it a couple of times, Reese and I have, and even I think on one episode, 
about the culture. Culture's mm-hmm. huge. You offer the sign-on bonus, culture's not good. They're going to leave as soon as that sign-on bonus is up. And I've actually seen them leave even before that. I've taken jobs that maybe don't pay what another facility would pay. But I also stayed at that other job for a very long time because I was very happy there. Mm-hmm. And that goes a long way. And so I think sometimes people get so focused on money, but there's a lot more to it. So I think there's a lot of things, yeah, that people have to look at when they're looking at jobs. A lot of times they'll say, well, what should we do to hire? First and foremost, put your culture out there Mm -hmm. and you're going to find the person that's going to fit for it. And they're going to stay with you long term. I will always pick one with culture. Yeah. We've heard this from our HR departments, you know, again, in all kinds of health systems. Look, we can get you the bodies. We can get you workers. You got to keep them, right? It's up to you to keep them there. And retention is really the bigger thing. More than hiring, it's keeping the ones you have and making sure that they do feel like, okay, this is a good place to work. My leader cares about me. My work matters. You know, I believe in the future of this company or the people leading it. I know that they care about me. It's all of that. And, you know, it's a it's a real shift for a lot of people. There's plenty of people just a generation ahead of me that they don't lead that way because it's hard to work for people that are like, look, your reward is your paycheck. I didn't fire you. So be be grateful. Really? <laughs> what year is it? Come on. <laughs> that is ancient leadership management style. And I'm glad to see it's going away. But again, every now and again, you'll still come up with some folks that are just haven't quite figured out that, that you really do need to invest in your teams. If we have any radiology directors or management that are listening, how can they start instilling this in their department? Say right now, we're all having a hard time. We're all having this shift They're hearing their employees saying they want to feel respected, Mm -hmm. not only within the radiology departments, but within the hospital. What advice do you have for Mm -hmm. those of us that, even for Reese and I, how can we help enhance the people that we're working with? Wow. Well, you know, I think, again, leader visibility carries a lot of weight, right? If, If leaders are out and they're not just leading from behind their desks, but if they're visible and accessible and approachable, and are open to suggestions. You know, the people that are doing the work know best how to get the work done. It's important that we get out there and we're like, okay, so this process that you're doing, is this makes sense? <laughs> and they'll tell you, no, I got a million workarounds. I, you know, I know you've got a policy here, but it's not really working for us. And so we've figured out a way around it where we're still coloring within the lines, but it's just not quite exactly how you want it done. Well, all right, let's take a look at that. Maybe we can make this simpler for you. Good leaders should be open to that kind of feedback from the people that are doing the work. Certainly the most important thing is is safety, right? We want to keep everybody safe. We want to keep the patients safe. We want to keep the employees safe. So as long as it's safe and it doesn't break any rules, I think we should be open to changing things based on what the people doing the work are telling us. So I think good leaders should be, be leading that way. We've instituted all kinds of leader rounding in a, a lot of different hospitals that I've worked for. You know, there's executives that, that get out from behind the C-suite offices and come out and spend time in each of the departments. They get to know some of the staff. All right, so tell me a little bit about your job. I'm not sure I understand what you do. So <laughs> show me what it is you do. How can I make this easier for you? What kinds of challenges are you facing? You know, what do you need from us? What do you want the leadership team here to know about you and your work? Boy, I'll tell you what, if I were a, a staff person, that would really make me feel great. If I had some face-to-face time with the CEO who's walking around, like getting to know people in my department, wow, that's great. And I made a suggestion and they actually considered it <laughs> or even made it happen. Wow. I mean, that demonstrates that, okay, these people are really, they're really invested in us. They really want to see us successful here. That's awesome. Again, more and more we're seeing that. 
I feel like it took a pandemic to get us there. And that sort of makes me sad that we had to go through all of that to get to where we are. But well, all right, if that's what it took, I guess, then it's better than not getting here at all. But I would have liked to have seen this happen sooner. I would have liked to have seen many more leaders get out there and really start to talk to the staff more. But would that make a difference to you if the key executives were routinely coming down and visiting with you and really finding out what your job was like? So I did work at one hospital. It was when I first started out in my career. The president of that particular small hospital was a big branch. She knew everybody's name, Mm. every single person. She would come in the deep night and visit with the deep night techs and ask them, how are you? This is who I am. The director would come in with her. So they were visible on every single shift. She was phenomenal. I was so sad when she left Mm. because she would listen to your ideas. When she talked to you, she engaged with you. She made eye contact with you. All of us stayed there together, an entire radiology department. We were there for a long time. (laughs) So it made it such a great, great place to work because you were seen, you were heard and recognized. It was just amazing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So yes, I agree with you. Yeah. I don't know why they all don't do it. So I know the name of the book is called Better Than I Found It. Mm -hmm. And... I want you to share a little bit about your inspiration for writing that book. And then also, what do you want your readers to take away from it? In terms of the the inspiration, now here's another funny story. I did not at all set out to write a book. It would never have occurred to me to do anything like this because I come from a family where my parents, hardworking people, like I said, my mom was a career nurse. She had a 50-year career as a nurse. My dad worked in the printing industry, you know, sort of a line guy, middle management guy. It's just keep your head down, work hard, don't rock the boat kind of a family. And so to think that I would have something to say that people would actually care about, it never, ever dawned on me that I would ever do this. It just so happened that a good friend of mine, because his wife had had a stroke, she was a young woman, but he was trying to navigate the healthcare system and get her the help that she needed and the therapy she needed and the, oh, you know, with all the medical bills and everything, it was just crazy. And he was not a big fan of the healthcare system. So when I went to work for an organization as their patient experience manager, we have these conversations. You should probably write some of this stuff down just to remember it, not for any good reason, just to put it down on paper. So you've got it as a memory. All right, fine. So it was, it was therapeutic for me after a while. I mean, it, healthcare is kind of stressful. So it, it was actually really kind of calming and centering for me to sit down and write. I started writing it in 2016 and I finished it in 2020. So four years worth of everything that I can remember about all the ups and downs of healthcare. When I put it together, I realized, okay, so here's a theme, you know, it really is sort of this idea of leaving things better than I found them. And Some of the stories are funny and there are some other ones that are a little more poignant and kind of sad. A lot of the organ donor stuff, there's a few stories in there that will tug at your heartstrings, but there's some leadership lessons. Uh, Again, this whole idea of taking good care of your staff and what that means and what that looks like and how to do a good staff round, right? If you're rounding on staff members, what kinds of things should you be asking? So there's some good advice in there too, I think. I would hope that whoever is reading the book, that they get out of it what they need to take from it. And by that, I mean, if, if you're looking for just a collection of stories about healthcare, it's something just kind of light reading and something fun, then I hope that that's what you get out of the book. If you're looking for some good leadership lessons or some good tips that are really going to help you be a better leader, 
then I hope that's what you'd get from the book. And if you're looking to understand more about HCAPs and what that means and what are the scores and what is a percentile rank, then I hope that's what you get from it. And so I think there's a little something for everybody. Everybody should take something different away because we're all in different places and we all have different kinds of things that we need. So hopefully they'll find a little something that works for them. I think for me personally, I'm just excited to read about something, one, that could enhance my patient care, two, could enhance the way I communicate with those around me in the working environment, Yeah, and three, connecting with somebody else who values the same things that I do. Mm. <laughs> so I'll yeah. let you know what chapter I like the best. <laughs> Please do. I w- I'd be very curious to know which one resonates with you and which one you like the most. To our listeners, if you are interested in checking out Better Than I Found It, we would be more than happy to include a link to Catherine's book. I'm sure she would love the support. (laughs) I will say this to anybody who's listening. It sold out in just about a week. (laughs) That was a surprise. (laughs) That was a big surprise. I guess there's an appetite for stuff like this. I never would have imagined. That's encouraging. What that tells me is that people are trying to make healthcare better. I mean, that's what this whole thing is about. And we know that the way it is today is is not as good as it could be. And there's a lot more that we can do. That is a very encouraging piece. And um, believe me, I did not write the book to make a million dollars. I wrote it because my friend badgered me into it, but wanting to just put some good stuff out there and hopefully make things a little better. Yeah, that's what that's what friends are for. Is the they're there to badger you. And yes. Next. The next thing you know, you're you're hosting a podcast. Yeah, I was gonna say that. I didn't want to. I was really nervous. Reese was the one that was like, "Let's do it." And then I was mm. like, "Well, you know, I don't know how people are gonna take it." And Reese is like, "We're doing it." So yes, the the pesky friend is a really good friend to have. <laughs> okay, Kate, do you listen to podcasts? I really do try and find time for them. I'm a big reader. It's harder for me to do the audio, but there are, are, there, are there are a few out there that I really do enjoy. Have you considered starting a podcast? Well, wouldn't you know it, that pesky friend of mine, I thought, oh yeah, yeah. What are you doing to me? Cut it out. Leave me alone. <laughs> so I actually did try my hand at this. I recorded, I think I recorded two or three for sure. And uh, even brought one of my friends in as kind of a, a guest, but I can't make the time. But it's still hard for me to get out of my own way, I think, is, is thinking, you know, do I really have anything meaningful to add to the conversation? There are all kinds of conversations happening about healthcare and leadership and patient experience and all kinds of things. So the better question is, well, why not you? But I, I just haven't quite figured out how to weave it into my daily schedule. <laughs> like I said, there's a couple of them out there somewhere, but it's just not been something I've, I've devoted the time and energy to. And you're absolutely right. It is very, very time consuming, but I'm getting quicker at it. So if you decide to do it, I can definitely show you the loopholes <laughs> and the tips and tricks. Um, as we were going through this process, the number one thing that we hear is, I really don't have anything to say. A lot of people feel that way. Reese and I actually feel that way a lot of times. Be surprised how many ideas you have and you start these conversations and you realize people have a lot to offer we're often really quick to discount ourselves as Mm. being a voice of value. Mm -hmm. Well, like I said, guys, for those of you listening, we are going to include a link to her book. So please go check it out. If you're an avid reader, go take a look, flip through some pages. Do they offer an audio book? So that's the next step. 
actually okay. trying to put together the audio and the ebook and get that out there as well. So are you going to use the shiny new microphone? Thank you for that, by the way. What, <laughs> yeah. what a lovely parting gift. That's our special thank you for everybody who comes on and records with us. We really got the advice from a fellow podcaster who I admire dearly, is an amazing physician. It's lovely. Thank you. Very okay. unexpected. So wonderful. Well, Kate, I appreciate you coming on and saying everything, as I'm sure our listeners do as well. Please check out other episodes if you haven't. We release one every week, typically on, on Tuesdays. We do have a website. You can go check us out there as well. We did some recent updates to it. Like I said, www.collaborationra.com. We would love to hear some feedback from you. you give us a like, give us a share, rate, review us. But Kate, no, we really appreciate you coming on. I can't wait to get a hold of your book and, and flip through it and see what experiences you had to say. Marceline, do you have anything? No, I just want to say thank you so much for your time and for even entertaining me whenever I reached out to you. I thought if I don't ask, the answer is going to automatically be no. And as soon as you answered, I was on my way for vacation and I was just ecstatic. I just could not wait to have this conversation. So thank mm. you so, so much for this tonight. This really, truly has been a pleasure. It's been a whole lot of fun getting to speak with both of you. And thank you for allowing me this forum. I think this is a, an audience that I hadn't necessarily thought about, but it is completely relevant. And it's a great new opportunity for you know a whole different group of folks to be having this kind of a conversation. So thank you very much for extending the invitation. And it truly has been a pleasure speaking with you. All right, we'll see you all next week. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Collaboration RA. Remember to find us on our website at www.collaborationra.com. There you'll find our social media accounts. Give us a like and give us a share. We look forward to your support and thank you for tuning in.